So as you know, for the last uh, month or so, we have been in the book of Acts. We've been looking at the times in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit shows up. We saw it in Acts chapter 1 at the Ascension. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, during the day of Pentecost, last week, Pastor Serena was preaching out of Acts chapter 4 when the apostles spoke to the Sanhedrin. And this week we're going to come back to Acts chapter 2 because frankly there's so much in there you can't do it in one week. Um, but that's okay. That's okay. So we're back in Acts chapter 2. Um, and Peter read for us. But there's something here that I really think um, it's easy to overlook. Uh, but we need to spend some time more specifically uh, teasing it out. So in verse 29, Peter says, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. He's been exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And of course, at this the people were greatly troubled. They asked, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The promise. This idea of the Holy Spirit being promised to God's people features prominently here in the second half of Acts chapter 2. But what is that promise? What, what does it mean for us as the, spirit, as the people of God to receive the Spirit of God? And is it uh, necessarily going to mean uh, that we will look more like our Pentecostal brothers and sisters speaking in tongues and having faith healings and that sort of thing? Oh, you're all scared now. Uh, it, it, will it mean that, that we will see um, a supernatural, supernatural sort of outpouring of the Spirit like on the day of Pentecost? Uh, what does it mean for us to be filled with the Spirit? What is that promise? What, what should we be looking forward to? What should we be expecting? In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul speaks to the church in Ephesus. And he tells them, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, 
God may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that His love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So for Paul, while uh, some of the more uh, fancy gifts of the Spirit are present in the early church, for Paul, the most important thing about being filled with the Spirit is that it, it plants the truth deep in our heart what the love of God truly looks like. What it looks like to live a life where we participate in the life of God. This past week, um, so I hate my phone um, because I waste a lot of time on it, but I just put the Kindle app, so now I do a lot of reading and there are a lot of notes. So when I pull my phone out, I'm not uh, actually checking on fantasy scores or anything like that. I'm uh, going to be reading smarter people than me um, who talked about this. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, and uh, Frank Machia talks about it like this. He says, In the New Testament, therefore, when we see the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it is a description of the person's awakening to new life and subsequent intimate communion with God and participation in the mission of God in witness to Christ. The promise of the Holy Spirit brings us into uh, what the church fathers called the Trinitarian life of God. Whereas we get to experience God's power and God's presence in a way that we didn't before choosing to follow Jesus, before choosing to participate in the life of God. And this can feel like one of those things that's reserved for uh, the super spiritual among us, the really pious, uh, the people who we know get up an hour early in the morning so they can read their Bible and start their day with Jesus. Um, you all have a mental image of this person in your head, and they're probably sitting in one of the corners of the sanctuary. Um, I know mine is. But the way the gospel writers and the way Luke and the way Paul talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's not a, it's not this special exclusive thing just for those who are super pious and have their act together. It's for all of us who call out to Jesus. It's for all of us who have put our trust in Jesus. It's for all of us who desire to know the power and the presence of God in our lives. And it's a powerful promise for us. Um, one of the things that we have been trying to do as a family is um, at least one meal a day, we'll uh, sit around the 
the breakfast table or the lunch table or the dinner table. And um, on moving up Sunday, Jesus, or Jesus, Ben, don't get any ideas. Um, On moving up Sunday, Jesus got, or my goodness, I did again. (sighs) On moving up Sunday, my son, Benjamin, not Jesus, thank Jesus, he received a, a Bible that was really cool. Um, in the margins, uh, all the different sections of the Bible have a different color. So, like, the Gospels are green, uh, the Epistles are blue, uh, the Pentateuch is orange. It's really neat. So, one of the things that we do is we sit around the table, and I hold it up, and I say, pick a color. Um, and uh, this morning when we did that, uh, he picked green. So, he opened it up, and And where we landed was uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 22. And Luke records this story. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and they set out. And as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. A storm came upon the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. And the disciples went, and they woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Then Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. And Jesus asked, Where is your faith? And they felt fear and amazement, and they asked one another, Who is this? That he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. In this same gospel, just a couple chapters later, Jesus says, the power that is in me will be in you when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The promise of the Holy Spirit is, it is the power in the presence of the God of the universe dwelling within us. confirming within us the love of God, empowering us to participate in the mission of God in the world, teaching us that which is true from that which is not. Pope John Paul II said it this way, that humans are called to a fullness of life which far exceeds the dimensions of our earthly existence because it consists in sharing the life of God. You know, oftentimes, because we live in a world that has hierarchies, we want to take uh, the Trinity and do some, some ordering of it. Right, so we want to say, well, you know, the, the Father is uh, is real God, and Jesus is, you know, kind of God because He's the Son, and sons are obviously is their fathers, and then you know, the Holy Spirit's somewhere below them. Like, like now, understand this 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 isn't true, but this tends to be the way we want to order things, living in the Western world and understanding this. But but the way the Bible describes the Trinity is, it is three distinct persons who live in mutual love and submission with one another. So that when we receive 
the Holy Spirit, we aren't receiving some sort of watered-down God-essence thing. We are receiving the, the, the real deal. We are receiving the actual power and the presence of God in, in, in a way that will radically transform our lives. We are receiving the same power that calmed the winds and the waves. We're receiving the, the same power that rose Lazarus from the dead and then Jesus from the dead. We're receiving the, the, the power that heals the blind man. We're receiving the comfort that has allowed generations of saints to mourn with joy. And this is important because we cannot live into our mission, we cannot live out our call without experiencing the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, without being filled. We remember the, the disciples. Jesus ascends into heaven, and then for a week and a half, they sit together and they pray, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. They don't go right out and tell everyone, hey, you guys wouldn't believe it. Jesus, he just ascended into heaven. Uh, Moses and Elijah showed up. It was incredible. You should have been there. No, for a week and a half they go back to their apartment and they all cram inside and they huddle together and they pray, Lord, send your spirit. Lord, send your spirit. Send your spirit. Please send your spirit. It's been five days and we're getting a little anxious here. But on the day of Pentecost, God sends his spirit. The people are filled. Uh, we see the miraculous gift of speaking in the tongues of the people who are there. And not only that, we see that these fishermen and tax collectors and uneducated persons are able to speak with the religious elites and convict them of the reality of who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit in our lives gives us words when we don't know that we have them. Gives us an inkling towards acts of grace and mercy and kindness that wouldn't come to us naturally. When the Holy Spirit dwells within us, we live different kinds of lives. When we drive through, um, drive through an area that we aren't familiar with, rather than being gripped with fear and anxiety about those who are around us, we look and see them as God's people. 
as children, as, as, as those who, who God loves and desires to be in relationship with. When we think about how we're going to budget our finances, we don't just think about maximizing our own pleasure and enjoyment. We think about how we can make a difference in someone else's life. When we uh, raise our, our children, we don't just uh, think about them learning how to do math. We become deeply concerned with them growing up into kind and honest and Jesus-trusting people. So how do we receive the, the gift of the Holy Spirit? How do we receive this promise? Um, well, I mean, going back to um, you know, what we've talked about previously, it's, it's something we need to want. We need to recognize that, that as good as we have... <coughs> oh, my apologies. Uh, as good as we have done at managing our lives up to this point, that there's something more. That our own strategies for uh, managing our lives and the lives of those around us cannot compare to a life lived in the Holy Spirit. And understand, at this moment, I am preaching to me, and you guys are just sitting there. Maybe you need to hear it too. But I, 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 like I can look at my life and see all the ways that I have strategized and managed it to you know, the margins. But ultimately, my best life isn't the life that I strategize in my own genius. My best life is the life that comes living empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the same is true for you. You cannot strategize your way into your best life. Just can't. The, the, the life that will bring the most joy and the most fulfillment that will, that will come with the greatest amount of purpose and peace is the life lived in continual dependence and obedience on God. And one of the ways we train ourselves to recognize our need and our dependence is to come together to the table. Because at the table we realize that we have done nothing to set this table. It's not our body and our blood that we consume. It's not our kingdom that we hope to see come in its fullness in the world that we live in. At the table, we recognize in one of the most tangible ways possible that it's not about us. That the life that will bring us the greatest joy 
and the greatest fulfillment is the life lived in dependence on God. Uh, one of the books that I've been reading, um, and I wasn't planning on talking about this, but it is right on the money. Um, so uh, Hudson Taylor, he was a missionary to China uh, 150 years ago. Um, and he was studying to be a doctor. Uh, but during, during his, his studies, um, they found this in one of his journals. Um, he writes, Then came the thought with startling clearness. If the whole work is finished and the whole debt is paid, what, there is le- what is left there for me to do? The one, the only answer that took possession of his soul was, there is nothing in the world for me to do save fall on my knees and accept this Savior and his salvation and to praise him forevermore. Too often, I fall into the trap of believing that I need to change the world around me. That's up to me. Uh, one of the, uh, the quotes from basketball camp as a, as a kid, uh, if it is to be, then it's up to me. Nonsense. Because the reality is that the victory's already been won. God is already at work bringing all of creation into right relationship with him. It's not about our strategies. It's not about the uh, mechanics and machines and programming that we can develop either personally or as a church. It's about discovering what God is doing in choosing to be obedient. And the only way we can do that is through prayer. Together, like the apostles, gathered together on our knees, praying that we would see God at work in the world around us and we'd have the courage to join in that work. That we'd have the courage to be obedient. To hear God speak and to respond in faith. So let's come together at the table. Together let's respond in faith to the victory that Jesus has already won. To choose to rely entirely on what Jesus has already done for us. To choose obedience rather than putting together greater strategies. To recognize that it's not about us, it's about what God wants to do in the world and is doing in the world and invites us to be a part of. Let's pray together.
Most holy and gracious God, we thank you that the victory is won, that we are not responsible for convicting others of their sin, that we are not responsible for saving others from slavery to sin and death. But that is your work that you invite us to be participants in. Lord, give us eyes to see your spirit at work. Give us the courage to trust you in all things. And we will give you the praise and the glory, for you indeed are worthy. Amen.